Welcome back to the World Cafe. I'm Raina Duras, joined by John Morrison. John Morrison is a podcast host and the host of Culture Cipher Radio on WXPN in Philadelphia, where we make World Cafe. Every month he joins me for the Culture Corner, connects the dots for us across all different genres of music. Hey, John. Hey, what's up, Raina? Now, last week, this week, and next week on World Cafe, we're exploring Chicago for our latest Sense of Place series. John, you've brought us someone with a Chicago connection, Curtis Mayfield. Just move on up toward your destination, though you may find from time to time complications. That's Curtis Mayfield's Move On Up. And Curtis was born in Chicago, and he was responsible for so much music over the course of his career. He created soundtracks for films, he wrote and he produced for other artists. John, could you start by telling us a bit about the early part of Curtis's career? How did he get started? Yeah, Curtis Mayfield, um, like so many beloved Black musicians, he came out of the church, right? Uh, He grew up singing gospel music. And by the 1940s, he was actually singing with his own group, a group called the Alpha Tones. But he also sang in the Traveling Soul Spiritualist Church, which was a church that was founded uh, by his paternal grandmother, Annabelle Mayfield, in 1897. So he, he has like uh, this, this deep uh, connection to this, this whole long tradition of Black spiritual music. And, you know, the influence of the church... I would say not only shaped the spiritual context of Curtis Mayfield's music, uh, I'd imagine that it also shaped the political character of the songs that he wrote. And we'll, we'll get into, you know, like the, the political content of a lot of this music. Uh, but you think about the civil rights movement as that movement was intensifying, the black church acted as an institution that uh, incubated a lot of these uh, organizing efforts that were going on during the civil rights movement. So you have the spiritual identity of black folks everywhere and also the political aspirations of black folks everywhere kind of tied up and and, uh, uh, brewing in in the church. And in a lot of ways, uh, Curtis Mayfield's music embodied that connection. And now, you know, people know Curtis Mayfield they know his name as as his own entity, but he rose to fame as a member of a group. Could you tell us about the impressions and their song, People Get Ready? Yeah, the impressions uh, were a legendary Chicago group. Uh, the, the great singer Jerry Butler uh, was a member of the impressions. And their music uh, was really a beautiful mixture of R&B, gospel, doo-wop, harmonies, that sort of thing. Really a, a great combination of all of these different Black American vocal and musical styles that were popular in the 20th century. And People Get Ready is really one of their signature songs. Uh, The song was originally released in 1965, and it was actually one of Dr. Martin Luther King's favorite songs. And it was considered by many to be like the anthem of the civil rights movement. Why was this song so important to what was going on then? What was it about the, the song itself? Yeah, of course, you know, I wasn't there. That was <laughs> uh, that was a little before my time. But uh, looking back, listening to people get ready, I, I could imagine that this song accurately articulated the emotional tone of the day, right? You got like this vocal melody that in a way occupies the space between uh, like weariness and hope, 
you know, the, the black freedom struggle had been intensifying for a while. This was 10 years after Emmett Till, another Chicagoan, uh, was lynched in Mississippi. And Dr. King himself had been organizing for like eight years or so when this, this song came out. And it's easy to imagine that black folks felt tired. You know what I mean? That this, you know, we've been fighting for, for freedom so long, this, this struggle in particular, this particular like historical moment had been intensifying. When are we going to get over? You know what I mean? Like, like when is, when is this going to happen? Uh, but you'd imagine that folks also felt hopeful, you know? So the, the song lyrically uh, plays with this metaphor about a train that's coming the impressions uh, assuring people that a change is going to come in the midst of struggle. It just, it feels like it, it, it captured everything that was going on at the time. The impressions. People get ready on World Cafe. People get ready. There's a train a coming. You don't need no baggage. You just get on board. All you need is faith to hear the deep. Just the, the Impressions with People Get Ready. I'm Raina Duris. This is World Cafe. We're in the middle of our Sense of Place Chicago series. So for this edition of The Culture Corner, correspondent John Morrison is talking Curtis Mayfield. So you've got the Impressions at the height of, of their fame. And then Curtis Mayfield's also busy working on music outside of the group at the same time. Could you tell us about the music he was making outside of The Impressions at that point? Yeah, this this period is fascinating to me because, um, you know, like you said, throughout the mid-1960s, the impressions are making this kind of uh, world-changing, uh, culture-shifting music in all of these songs. But at the same time, Curtis Mayfield was moonlighting, quote-unquote, as a producer and writer for the OK label, uh, a record label itself with like a deep history in the blues and R&B music. It was founded in the early 1900s. And by the 1960s, OK was releasing all of this great music by a lot of young R&B acts that were based in Chicago. Groups like the Artistics, uh, Gene Chandler, uh, the Opals, all kind of groups and singers. And Curtis Mayfield was very young and writing all of this music is is mind-blowing to me that he was doing so much with the impressions but also had the time to just write classic records beloved r&b records for for different groups just like unstoppable creativity going mm -hmm. on the song that you brought uh is from billy butler and the chanters it's called nevertheless what can you tell us about this song what should we listen for nevertheless is uh one of my favorite curtis mayfield songs um like a lot of the music that he was writing during this time and, and producing, the song is grand, it's complex. It, it has like uh, this big sweeping string arrangement. It's a dope song, but it's even more impressive when you consider the fact that he was, you know, like we said, writing for the impressions, performing with them and writing for multiple groups, you know, outside of his own group. And he was only about 22 or 23 at this time. Like he was a baby writing this music, uh, music that I would say rivaled the great uh, records that were being written and released uh, through the Motown label. It's amazing to think about somebody so young 
that had such a handle on so much music. Produced and written by Curtis Mayfield, here's Billy Butler and the Chanters with Nevertheless. You just heard Nevertheless from Billy Butler and the Chanters, a song written and produced by Curtis Mayfield. And that's who we're talking about today on The Culture Corner here on World Cafe. It's the Sense of Place Chicago edition of The Culture Corner. I'm Raina Torres here with John Morrison. In the early 1970s, Curtis Mayfield launched his career as a solo artist. What made his solo work different from the music he'd been writing and producing in the 60s? If, if Curtis Mayfield had just stopped you know, <laughs> before 1970 with all of these classics that he wrote for the OK label and all the stuff that he had done uh, for the impressions. If you just stop right there, he would be in the Songwriters Hall of Fame, right? But he didn't, obviously. And it's interesting because uh, Curtis Mayfield really dominated the 70s, which is is wild because the 1970s are probably the greatest decade for R&B music, you know, yet just just think of like his peers at the time, Stevie Wonder, Aretha Franklin, Gamblin Huff at Philly International, Isaac Hayes and David Porter at Stax, all of these folks uh, releasing like these monumental records. And Curtis was right there with them in popularity and in like the quality of the music. So you have a lot of songs like Move On Up, uh, If There's a Hell Below, We're All Gonna Go, it's, it's just these rich uh, songs that apply uh, the social and political consciousness of the 60s with the musical depth and, and complexity of the 70s. And then you have an album like Superfly, which sounded like nothing Curtis Mayfield had ever done before and, you know, really nothing that would, would follow after. Anything that came after it was directly influenced by it. We're going to hear the title track from Superfly in a second, but maybe you can, yeah, dig into that for us. Tell us why it's so great. Yeah, Superfly um, is probably one of the greatest albums ever. You know, it's, it's a classic. If you are my age, like your parents had that record in their uh, collection. Uh, it's the soundtrack to the 1972 film of the same name, uh, directed by the great Black photographer Gordon Parks. And Superfly, it, it tells the story of a, a drug dealer who's trying to get out of the, the dope game, right? And Curtis's soundtrack, you have songs like Give Me Your Love, Freddy's Dead, Push Your Man. It, it all, all of the songs are uh, so vivid and they, they beautifully illustrate the film's plot, right? It, it's, it's like Gordon Parks and... and uh, Curtis Mayfield like created this film together in a way, you know, and the music really articulates what's happening in the film, but it also stands alone. It also stands alone as uh, its own work of art. This is Curtis Mayfield with Superfly on World Cafe. Darkest of night with the moon shining. 
Superfly from Chicago, born and raised Curtis Mayfield on World Cafe. We're in the middle of our Sense of Play Chicago series on the show, so John Morrison is talking Curtis Mayfield for Culture Corner this month. To wrap things up, John, just kind of talk to us about Curtis Mayfield's legacy. How is his impact still felt today? Curtis Mayfield, along with some of the other folks that I mentioned, Aretha Franklin, uh, Stevie Wonder, he's he's really in a rarefied class of of songwriters and and songwriters and and producers in black music really auteurs who uh had an an artistic vision a singular artistic vision and a lot of power musically to to execute that vision um even with uh some of his peers like you would consider Jimi Hendrix who's somebody who worked in you know a a completely different stylistic milieu uh, but Jimi Hendrix talked a lot about how Curtis Mayfield's guitar playing influenced his own guitar playing. And even if you listen to some of the stuff that Curtis is playing on like those Impressions records, they sound like something from Axe's Bold as Love, right? Or Electric Ladyland. You can tell that Jimmy was playing those records over and over and learning those licks. So Curtis Mayfield, uh, like a lot of the music that we talk about on this segment... Uh, his DNA is in everything. I feel like I say that (laughs) every time we meet and talk about a person. But uh, yeah, Curtis Mayfield, his DNA is in so much hip-hop through sampling, so much of contemporary R&B just through uh, a lot of the foundations that he laid, gospel music. You can hear him rock and roll, the blues. You can hear him all over. See, this is why I love this segment so much. It's because you do actually connect so many uh, things together and, and give things context. Thanks for bringing us, Curtis Mayfield. Thank you, Raina. John Morrison is a podcast host and the host of Culture Cypher Radio on WXPN in Philadelphia, where we make World Cafe. He joins me every month for the Culture Corner. I'm Raina Duras, back in a moment with more World Cafe.